Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of the podcast Till Debt Do Us Part, focusing on student loan debt and even more specifically, the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. My name is Jason DiLorenzo, and I am the founder of Doctors Without Quarters, a graduate health-specific student loan advisory, and also PSLF Jobs, which is the nation's first jobs platform and resource dedicated to the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program for both student loan borrowers who are eligible for this program, as well as qualifying employers. So couldn't think of a better topic for our inaugural episode than to feature an interview with someone who recently received public service loan forgiveness. So we're going to turn our attention now to the story of Dr. Gina Sullivan, who just in last August got over $130,000 of federal student loan debt forgiven tax-free through the PSLF program. Enjoy the interview. Thanks. Yeah. How's it going? It's going okay. It's going yeah. busy, but you got public service loan forgiveness. I did. That was probably the most exciting thing that happened in 2021. <laughs> like the the initial reports were that like you basically like nobody was actually like nobody who thought they were eligible was actually getting forgiveness. And I was like, oh my God, is this yeah. actually gonna work? And it didn't did, seem feasible. How, did that steer you off course? That stuff? The fact that the media was blasting it and saying 99% of applications denied or Not really because I felt like, I, I think I assumed that I had done my homework in terms of like having my stuff in the right loans and having my documentation. So I think my hope yeah. at that time was that the reason that people weren't getting forgiven was just because their documentation was off or their understanding of how the program worked was off. So I think right. I was still relatively optimistic. Um, and I kind right. of felt like, well, okay, worst case scenario, if it turns out that like, this isn't going to work, then at that point in time, I'm going to start figuring out what's my, what's my next path? Like, how do I, how do yeah. I go about deciding how to pay these off? I think back when you, when did you start medical school? What year? 2006. Oh, six. Yep. So there was, uh, there was not, well, public service loan forgiveness didn't get, uh, created until 07. Okay. And then really until 2010, it didn't kind of hit the critical mass of people are using income-driven repayments. The schools are teaching it. That's when we, that's when I joined Mike's team and started teaching it at medical schools was 2010. Yeah. So can I fire a few questions at you? If if you don't, if you don't mind, this is great. I really thank you for, for taking a few minutes to talk to me. Hopefully yeah. you're elated about this thing and want to yeah. talk about it uh, anyway. And I think a lot of people in your shoes that are pursuing it, that have seen this media attention that, that is often negative towards PSLF will, will breathe a sigh of relief when they hear a real, a real case study, <laughs> a real story of its success. How much did you end up getting forgiven? Uh, it was about $130,000 that I had left in loans that got forgiven. That's, uh, that's awesome. Congrats. I, uh, I applaud your, your effort towards it because those 10 years that you did are a lot more difficult than the 10 years that are coming down the road for people um, to do now that everybody has the right kind of loans if they've gone to school in the past 11 years. Yeah. Your path was a little, was a little rockier than it, that'll be for for borrowers that are like finishing up school today. Right. Um, what repayment plan did you end up using 
throughout. Did you use the same one the whole time and just I, re renew it? I used this, used the same plan. I renewed it. I think there were a total of four different servicers that ended wow. having it. And when I think I, I think this is like ages ago, but I think when I initially said like, I'm going into this, I had to switch everything into the, like, what is now like the Fed loan stuff. But at the yep. time it was, you know, there was Vermont I was in, there was like yep. another one before that, that I was in that. Yeah. The consolidation happened aggressively, probably six, seven years ago, where there was a dozens of servicers and all of a sudden they all consolidated into ba basically the four main ones that exist today, which is changing later this year, but Fed loans, Navient, Nelnet or Great Lakes. So yeah. if you were doing the employment certification form, that's when they landed at Fed loans. Yeah. But do you yeah. recall like how many years was it with Fed loans where you were actually tracking those payments towards the 120 qualified to forgive? So when I first got in with Fed loans, I want to say it was maybe around 2015. Okay. Um, and at that point in time, I had moved back up to Massachusetts. So I didn't have the info from my residency, which counted. Um, yep. So I had to get information from residency, which was probably the hardest piece of it, like figuring out who to talk to there to get- At, the, at your residency program? What's that? At your residency program? Who did it end up being? Was it GME or a- uh, or a GME. Okay, but, good. Uh, we GME like to hear that. Like, it, they were very hard to reach in general. I had a name change, which had confused some things because the um, all of my information from them was in my maiden name, but my loans were, had, I had switched to my married name. So like I had to submit like all this documentation to them for that. Um, and then- once I had that piece done, that was for those four years, mm -hmm. um, I've been at the same job since then. So that made that easier because each year I was just basically saying. Yeah. Now reconciling your residency. So you did, it, it was an OBGYN residency for, you did four years. Yeah. Did you consolidate your loans right after med school? I did. Into a single loan. Got it. I had we two, usually do I had two loans. Too. That were like the same servicer and everything like that. But yeah. Do you feel like if you had not consolidated, and I don't know what your loans look like from 06 to 2010, but they could have been not Department of Education loans. That didn't happen until 2010. Yeah. So the consolidation was necessary for PSLF, but the consolidation was probably suggested to you. It was, yeah. By it your was school? I, um, no, it was suggested to me by Mike, I think. It was, okay, got it. In order to do this. And I think I remember doing a little bit of research on like, okay, how do I get to a point where this all kind of will, will yep. gel for this? And it was like, yeah, you have to consolidate your loans. So. so it was good for you to have Mike in your corner oh, yeah. uh, at that, at that time, uh, because 2010 was a year when it started to hit critical mass schools, started to teach it, but not everybody knew that those loans from 06 to 2010 often weren't qualified unless they were consolidated so that's an interesting point for you for you specifically yeah. now today everybody has already department of education loan so they may yeah. want to consolidate for convenience right administrative right. simplicity yeah. so I, I another question for you is if fed loans wasn't your servicer for those first roughly five four five years 
when you completed the employment certification form and then Fed Loans became your servicer, did you have any issues getting Fed Loans to count payments that were made in the income-driven plan with the previous servicer? Did that require any chasing for you? Surprisingly not. It actually- I'd love to hear that. Yeah, it was a, it was a really smooth transition there. Um, I, you know, I had all of my documentation from the prior loan servicers and so mm -hmm. I forwarded that to them and then had to verify my employment. But, yep. um, you know, that was their standard form, which they're still using today for like employment verification. That's great to hear, especially because this matters to you, not at all now, <laughs> which is awesome. Right. But the, um, the, the, Fed Loans has announced that they're leaving Fed Federal Loan Servicing in like later this year in December. Wow. So there's a little unrest around who's going to take it over. Is all the right. data going to be accurate? Are we going to have to uh, chase down information again? And I think that they've got things well in order with, uh, we're hoping that Mohella, another servicer, takes it over. But this is all inconsequential to you. <laughs> now. You're done. No. Um, <laughs> Now, when you applied for public service loan forgiveness, so in other words, 120 payments were, were complete, yeah. was, that, was that proactively communicated to you by the servicer to go fill out that application? Did you just see that you had hit 120 and it was time to fill out the application? What was that like? Yeah, so I had always had this kind of tally in my head of like, at this point, I'm going to reach this. And I think for the first six months of my residency, I had my loans in forbearance, which had been recommended to me, maybe by med school. I don't remember who gave me that recommendation. So I had this, so I knew it wasn't like as soon as I hit 10 years out of med school, I knew I had like a little bit of cushion there that I could have been your, your grace period too, right? You have a grace period yeah. and that doesn't count. So for, for a lot of times, doctors that are going right into residency or their intern year want to consolidate because grace period doesn't count for PSLF, but right. income driven does. Right. And so I think I had, I had been encouraged to take that. So I had taken that and then I, and so then I was like, okay, I know it's not exactly that. So maybe three years ago, I had, you know, sent in my employment verification stuff and they said, okay, you're at X number of payments. So I knew I was relatively close and I think I had calculated that it was going to be, you know, around May, June or so. Um, and so I, when I hit the 120, if I logged into the website, I could see that I had hit it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I had already started the process of like applying before I even got an email from them saying like, we think you might be at 120 payments. So. They did send you an email like that, that said, though, we think you might be done with this thing. Here's the application. Yeah, it was in, it was, they sent me an email saying that I have like a new message in my inbox. And nice. so I had to like log in. And then when I saw like, you know, this says that you've reached 120 payments. If you feel like this is correct, you can submit for um, forgiveness. And that part wasn't super crystal clear that like you had to fill out the same form that it looked like you'd been filling out when you were doing your like certificate appointment. Right. It was basically the exact same form again. Um, because I was kind of like, well, I just filled this out last month to say that I had like 119 payments. Yeah. So now I guess I'm doing this for like the 120th payment and, you know, just for the proof that I'm still employed. Yeah. They consolidated those forms essentially. And even there was this 
temporary expanded public service loan forgiveness. If you had done the wrong repayment plan for some reason, but you could blame that on your loan servicer, mm -hmm. they're still forgiving some of those loans for okay. people now. Yeah. But you didn't, you had a nice clean trajectory of 10 consecutive years. And yeah. this is, uh, this, this is great. Now, from the time you applied to the time you saw a zero balance, or how is that communicated to you? I want to do fireworks and bottle popping and right yeah like no, it, was, it was it was similarly there's like a message in your inbox yep and it was it was fast it was like maybe eight or nine days after I submitted it maybe wow been a little bit sooner um and so and it was same thing it was an email that just said you know like you have a new message in your inbox when I went to the inbox it said like your your loans have been forgiven and then when I looked on the site, because of course I'm like, I don't believe this. Like this yeah. is like until somebody says like this is truly like you want to see it. So I looked on and it was like a zero balance, and that was that was it. Wow! So eight or nine days—that is faster than I would have uh, expected. A around what time did did that happen? It was this during the pandemic. It was yeah. It was just in um, just in August. Of this year. Okay, this just happened two months ago. Yeah, this is like really not even. Wow. Yeah. That's uh that's incredible, Gina. So yeah. I'm glad to know. I mean, maybe because the servicers aren't servicing student loans right now, everybody's in a zero payment situation. Yeah, maybe like maybe got... they had extra staff. I also don't know yeah. that I had like certified my employment at like 119 payments. So yeah. like I had already, you know, it wasn't like they had to go back through the last three years of my employment to verify that. Like yeah. that was all current. Loaded question. Do you feel like HRs or other admins at qualified employers should be aware of this and proactively maybe just once a year reaching out and saying, hey, if you're pursuing PSLF, we'll fill out this form for you. Maybe go yeah. through and do the numbers again to make sure you're in the right repayment plan. Because that's a retention tool for them. Uh, yeah, and I think as a as an employment strategy, I think mm -hmm. it would be a great thing. You know, if I am thinking about coming to a you know public service institution, yeah, and you know you want to sell every perk because there's going to be a lot of parts of that job that are work and not perks. And so if that was something that was touted as I signed, like, hey, by the way don't know what your loan situation is or whether you're paying back, but you know, this employment counts towards this. Um, if you, you know, can reconfigure your loans and things like that, then it would be great. I don't know how many people would necessarily choose the position solely so that they can get that because mm -hmm. I think you're really choosing a very different career path um, yep. in some circumstances. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was, I always knew I was going to end up in academic medicine. I knew that I wanted to be in a, at a university institution. I knew that I wanted to take care of like the Medicare Medicaid population. Mm -hmm. so that, was, that was always going to happen. Um, but if I'm, you know, choosing between two different places and a place said to me, hey, like we, we will help make this process easy for you. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a no brainer. That For you, public service loan forgiveness was an ancillary benefit of, of a career trajectory you were already choosing. So it's good that you learned about it when you did, when you graduated medical school to position yourself properly. It wasn't so easy to do in 2010 
because a lot of people didn't have the, the right kind of loans they needed to consolidate them. And the income driven plans were still kind of confusing to people. So if you could advise anybody that's finishing up school with a whole bunch of student loan debt, six figures, comfortable six figures in, and well, certainly for doctors going into training where your income is modest for X number of years while you train. Uh, do you have any other advice for people if you go viral? And, uh, <laughs> which uh, I hope you might be comfortable with that because there's a lot of thirst for information on this topic. I won't give away your, your contact info. <laughs> yeah. So I think, um, I think the biggest things for me were like having your documentation, like being on top of your documentation, because it's just so much easier if you keep track of that. And it doesn't take a lot of time, but like, staying current on things. Um, I think thinking about as, as you reach that point where you're no longer making a resident salary, like as you move into an attending role, thinking about how you're going to manage your taxes, how you're going to manage that, because that all plays into your income-based repayment. Um, yeah. For most people, that's a pretty big jump in what you have to pay from like what you're paying in residency to then what you have to pay as an attending. So just yeah. be mindful of that as you're like financially planning your life and how that's going to look, um, I think is an important thing to consider because even though it's still better than like what you would often be repaying in another system sure. and for like in 10 years, like this money is no longer going to be an issue. Um, you still have to be prepared that like, that's going to be a bill that you didn't have Yeah, going into that. So essentially in residency, you can pay I mean, as little as zero. Some people pay in their intern year. If yeah. they had taxes that showed no income their last year in medical school. And then once you have an attending role where your income hopefully goes up substantially, then your payments obviously are going to follow that and go up as well. You're not in some relief program right. that isn't requiring payments from right. you and you have to budget for yeah. that. Absolutely. Yeah. And the outcome is still more desirable than having to pay it all back, but it's something that you have to still economically, financially prepare for. Right. Good... Absolutely. You know, you're, you're, you're looking for that future of not having those payments, but you still have to make those payments in the end. Yeah. And so you need that sort of short-term pain for the longer term reward of, of not having to pay down the road. But especially, I think, you know, a lot of us are so science-minded. We're not always the most financially minded. So that idea of like, you may have to budget for this. You may have to think about, you know, like what is your yeah. doing in terms of like contributing or, you know, how does that all play in? A lot of people coming out of residency are starting families. So you're going to have different expenses there. So I think just being mindful of that, that shift yeah. when that happens and kind of you know, preemptively preparing for that when you do have those lower payments in residency, I think is, is a helpful strategy to avoid Absolutely. really like you're spending, you know, for some people, if they only have a three-year residency, that might be seven years where you are actually, you know, paying back a little bit more. Yeah. We like to project out the payments based on your future income, whether that's you're finishing residency and you've done three or four years, and then you have six or seven more to go project those payments versus what you owe to see what's the delta of is the savings yeah. substantial there so that you can prepare for it that way. Cause that is a shocker. All of a sudden 300 bucks a month turns to $2,200 a month or whatever the, the whatever the number is yeah. Yeah. Uh, that happens overnight right. <laughs> based right. on your, when think, you've I, you know, re recertified. What happened for me uh, was that, that big yep. that 
done. For sure. Yep. And it still results in savings. So it's a good economic outcome, but you have to be prepared for that. So uh, that's a great, that's a great point. Did you have, um, if I may ask these sort of invasive questions, but married, did you go through the married filing jointly versus separately? Complexity, conundrum? What did you choose? We chose to file separately. Okay. um, Which has worked um for us i'm happy that we will be filing jointly going forward because it's yeah. like with kids and a house and all of those other things sure um but we did choose to file separately the whole time that i was in the in the repayment plan okay so that kept your payments lower maximized savings and as far as you could tell without getting into the personal details but you know for my, Filing married and separately, it will never be cheaper than filed filing jointly, but often it's not that much more expensive to where you're saving six figures on your student loans. It still makes sense to do that. Absolutely. And it's, it's hard to, I think it's hard to, to really quantify that because, you know, like you have to take your deductions differently. Um, you know, it changes once you have dependency changes, like who, you know, says that like put the yeah. dependents on their taxes. You're able to claim the dependents and make the payments maybe a little bit lower as well, which helps. Yeah. Right, right. And so that was for for me, like not not knowing a ton about taxes, like that yeah. was something that I really had to like, okay, like where Dig does this make sense? Who yeah, who, who sure. should these kids be under and like all that kind of stuff. The nuance of that was a little bit more complex, but it, we we figured that it would it would mean that the payments were lower overall. Yeah. That's super helpful because that is a, a complexity for people or a conundrum. Do we want to file separately? Is it going to subject us to greater tax liability? And often when you're talking about six figures, comfortable six figures of savings, more, to, more often than not, it makes sense to file separately, but not, but not always. So that's a consideration that people should also be prepared uh, for. Yeah. Well, you've been super generous um, with your time. You're okay that I recorded this? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, okay. But yeah, I think a lot of people will benefit from hearing your story. And even that you hear all the nightmare stories in the media about people getting denied and it taking forever and having the wrong kinds of loans. And that stuff has been out there. But the expectation is that your outcome is going to become increasingly common. Yeah. You know, there's 1.3 million people enrolled in this program now, but there's still around maybe even a little less than 10,000 that have gotten their loans forgiven. So you're in this, you're <laughs> in this clinical trial sort of yeah. group, if you will. Yeah. And um, it's awesome to hear a success story. Um, so you'll have to tell Mike, I said, hi, and hopefully I, I, I did okay in this interview <laughs> thing. I'm not like a trained interviewer. But I'm not this, no, so. <laughs> hey, I feel like you did great. I did buy this podcasting mic, so I kind of nerd out like I am a. Uh, uh, you got you got to you got to look the luck, right? You gotta. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, if I'm going to do an interview, I got to have something that makes it official, right? <laughs> well, really nice to talk to you, Doctor Gina Sullivan, and uh, very much appreciate your your time and congratulations Thank on getting that. loan forgiveness. And uh, yes, please tell Mike I said hello. I will. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. 
All right, everyone, thanks for tuning in. If you are a PSLF candidate or think you will be down the road, you can register for one-on-one -on -one support with an advisor with Doctors Without Quarters. That's www.dwoq.com. Their experience and dedication towards the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program will ensure that you maximize the substantial savings opportunity that's often available there. Also want to, if you're a qualified employer, point your attention towards www.pslfjobs.com. PSLF Jobs is the nation's first jobs platform and resource dedicated exclusively to the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. So that's all we have for you today. But remember, until debt, do us part.